Howdy. Glad you are here on the way in to all of our campuses. You're handed the notes, and if you want to grab those, we'll jump into the message here real quick. While you do that, let me welcome all of our campuses in, not just uh, uh, our Lone Tree Campus, but Highlands Ranch, Castle Rock, Lakewood, the folks that live stream us, and uh, even the guys that will be listening in the next couple of weeks via podcasting or a uh, DVD, CD. However, you're a part of the greater JFC family. We really are glad that you're with us and want to bring you all into one place at one time. We're going to complete our series uh, this weekend called You Asked For It, the premise of the series. Just in case you haven't been here or maybe you're tuning in for the first time or maybe somebody handed you uh, the download of the, uh, of, of the message and you didn't hear any of the other parts of it, coming into the summertime, we just asked our church, uh, why don't you let us know what you'd like us to address? What are the subjects or the questions or uh, maybe just some of the things that are happening in our world at large, our state, our city? Uh, your neighborhood, anything. Doesn't, uh, doesn't have to relate to even spiritual uh, issues. Could just be something that just maybe you'd like us to address. And uh, had a great response over that. We put the entire series together, and that's why we called it You Asked For It. So um, have finished uh, up the last uh, couple of months teaching on this, had the teaching team involved in it, thought it was, uh, I-, I hope you've appreciated it. I know that uh, I think, here, here was what I appreciated about maybe more than anything else. Um, we live in a day and an age, and especially, um, I I can say this without, uh, without hindrance. The amount of email I got from last week's message is just uh, pretty overwhelming um, in a good way. Uh, but just not a lot of churches want to, uh, to address things that may be difficult to, to address or to take a stand in a particular way. And I appreciate the fact that um, not, only, not only you trusting us with that, but we've got a teaching team that's willing to, hey, how do we, how do we wrestle through? Where is God on this? Where, how, do we, how do we stand on this and yet at the same time do it in a way that allows for um, the Holy Spirit to be seen through it and for Jesus to be lifted up in it? And so I appreciate just uh, what our teaching team has done with that. I appreciate you being involved in it. And I, I thought it's been a good series based on that. So yeah, one person. Thank you very much for that. Um, that good. I did, in your notes, I put a deviation from what we had said, and um, that, uh, we don't do it often. In in fact, um, you know that we, if you go here, we spend enough time trying to put together everything that we do, all the media, uh, all the graphics, everything is is really, we don't fly by the seat of our pants. It's put ahead uh, literally weeks and weeks ahead of time in in many of the cases, and uh, our, our team had taken the time to do all the graphics, write down what all the messages were going to be about, and occasionally, not always, uh, but occasionally, uh, in the middle of that, if God says, "Hey, this is something that that I you missed this, you didn't address this, or just something that's in my heart," we always have to. We, we can never go. Well, we we have it in the media, so we, that's what we have to do. We always have to be able to go. Listen, we we need to make a change here, and that's what we're doing this weekend. Um, if if you had come, like I know they're doing a panel discussion. They're going to maybe wrap up on all the things they talked about. I apologize to you. Uh, it's just not going to be that this weekend. I put down, um, and, and we sent this out ahead of time. Hopefully it reached you just in case. But I, I put down at the transition the question that no one asked. The question that no one asked. And, and I, I, that's pretty intriguing. I realize that because you might go, gosh, that, that could be about 10,000 things for sure uh, without a question. But, but what is it? And I, I, I don't mean to make it mysterious. The bottom line is just simply this. No one said, Pastor John, what would you want to say? 
what would you want to address? And what, what, what do you see maybe that no one else is, is seeing or looking at in a, in a situation? And I think that sometimes as a, a lead pastor, there's just things that you see or things that you understand or things that you want to say that, uh, that you have to take your opportunity when the time presents itself to do that. And here's one thing that I know to be true. Leaders have this commonality, no matter what they do, what they lead, they have one thing that they're responsible for. They have to keep saying the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. They'd say it different ways but they have to get the vision out there and they have to get the idea, this is why we're doing what we're doing and this is where we're going and this is what it's all about. So I thought I would take this message and uh, I I just felt like there were some things in my heart that, gosh, if I could have asked the question, here's the things that I would have asked or the things that I would have said or what I would have put down. So if you want to follow along with me right here, uh, number one, I just wrote it down this way. Here here would be my questions or or my statements or the things that I would say. The first one just simply is, uh, I'm talking as the leader to our church. Maybe it's a, a good way to say this is the state of where I see some of the issues in our church with us lying. Let me tell you what my biggest challenge is uh, as a pastor right now, my biggest challenge as as the leader, the founder of this church, um, you know, the only one you, you heard uh, when Heather gave her resignation, 15 years. There's not many people on staff longer than that, but I do know uh, one person who for sure has been here a little longer than that, and that was me. And if you go, why are you the senior pastor? I got here first. I beat everybody else here. <laughs> Nobody was here, and I just picked up the torch and said, I'll do this right here. Um, and it, it was... <laughs> Uh, it, 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 it was um, literally like that, started it, had, um, I think some of you have heard the story, I, I won't take the time in the message to redo it right now, but let me, let me just, it, it was pure vision that had me come here. Much of like what you heard Heather just say right now, I had a dream. God literally interrupted my life, gave me a dream. I don't think you should live your life by dreams. I think you have to be very careful with that. How many of you have had a dream that you wouldn't want to act on? Yeah, exactly. I think that that's most of us, and um, we have to be very careful, but I think you also have to have a precedent in life that there is, in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, God does speak to us through dreams and visions. And there are times that that does happen, and we need to make uh, an allowance, or we need to be able to at least decipher, is this me or is this God? And I literally felt God speak to me, gave me um, literally a vision to leave where I was and to start a church from scratch. And when people ask me today, you know, 16, 16 years later, uh, there have been some things that have gone very, very right for us. Uh, God has done a wonderful thing for us. This is not normal. It does not just happen every place. God has done something wonderful. People ask, how did you do it? What, what are the keys? Or, or if, especially pastors that are starting churches, what could I do to see those things happen? Uh, my number one thing that I tell them is make sure that you have a vision from God. If you have a vision, you have the fuel that it will take. And, and, and here's what I know. Martin Luther King said this. His famous speech was, say it with me, I have a what? This is the truth. If he'd have stood up and said, I have a plan, I'm not sure many people would have followed him. In life, listen to me, we are attracted to vision. Vision is what captures our attention. Vision is what holds our hearts. It's true in politics. It's true in ministry. It's true with a job. It's true in relationships. A vision is what captures us. And when we have a vision for something, it gives us all that we need to be able to take off and do that thing. The reason I wrote it's my biggest challenge right now is here's the question that I'm asking myself as the leader of this church and having to to operate. I feel like in many ways I've fulfilled the vision that God gave me for this church. I feel like all the things that he told me to do, I feel like I could say to him if I stood before him, I did all those things. 
and I find myself asking the question right now, so do I just maintain? I'm not a good maintainer. I don't, I don't think that churches are at their best when all they're doing is maintenance many. Do you agree with that right there? So the churches need to be going forward on vision. And so I'm asking God right now, what is that vision? What do you want? Where should I be at? What does it need to look like going into? If you were to give me 15 more years in one place, if I could, if I could spend 30 years giving my life to one group of people, which is my desire, what does it look like when I get all said and done with that thing right there? And part of my prayer and part of my, you know, we just came back off of vacation. Part of my vacation was spent just in every morning getting before God and asking him, what does the future look like? What are you saying to me? I know this. I've lived my life this way. Proverbs 29 verse 18 says, without a vision, people perish. Without a vision, people perish. And what does that simply mean? Vision is not like, you know, uh, uh, simply an imagination. Vision is literally a prophetic understanding of what the future is supposed to look like. When you have that, it gives life to everything that you're doing. And if you don't have that, you lose life in everything that you're doing. Churches at 15 plus years have a critical, critical junction that they come to. Most of them slide into a place of maintenance ministry because they burnt all the fuel that comes with vision. And it's difficult to retool. Here's the thing. You can't make vision happen. God has to do it. And if I had to stand before you right now and say, state of the state, honestly, where is everything at in our church, the life of our church? Things are really great. Ministries are great. People are great. Staff is great. Built a great church. But is this just what we're supposed to do? I don't think so. I think it's asking God, what's the vision of our church? And where do we go from here? And what do we accomplish? What do you want us to do? I would throw this out to you. Would you pray for me so that God's vision goes 15 more years? Would you pray that for your pastor? I felt like I would stand up here and I would gut level, openly, honestly speak to you about what's going on inside of me. Here's the questions I'm asking God. What's the vision for this church supposed to be for the next 15 years? Clearly, when I started it, he told me, it, it develop a place that is the recovery and the discovery of the promises of God. And I feel like, gosh, we've done that in so many ways. I felt like the things that he told me to do with outreach and, and, and building campuses, there's so many things that were good and right. But I don't feel like he's just said, now coast. Feel like he's gearing us up for something that's very specific in what the next step in vision should look like. And I think very clearly what I heard from God this summer for me was that thing that I just told you. It's not I have a plan, but I have a vision that people need to follow. And I never want to stand up here and just go, here's our plan. I want to stand up here and tell you this is what the Holy Spirit said to me. This is where I have to go, whether anybody goes with me or not. This is what I have to do. This is what I'm giving my life to. This is what fires me. And that's what we move on. Does that work? Look around. It works. It wasn't a plan that got us here. It was vision. And vision is what it takes to go to the next place. So I would just throw that out to you, man. Pray, pray. Vision. Let me give you the second thing, and I wrote it this way. My greatest concern as the senior leader is what? Spending time making sure I'm actually preparing a bride. Let me, let me read a scripture to you. Um, this is one of those scriptures. I actually taught this a while ago. This scripture bothers me. Now, not, not 
all, when I read the Bible, does it bother me. But there are certain scriptures, I don't know about you, but certain ones I read and I'm like, that, that bugs me. Let me read this to you, because this is one of those ones that stands out. Matthew chapter 7, it might be right behind me here. Uh, not everyone, this is Jesus talking, who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Look at this part right here, because this is what really gets me. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Don't, don't go to the next part. Go back. Let me just stay here for a second. What bothers me about this, the people that are talking to Jesus right now are not saying, look at the buildings we built. And they're not saying, look at the money that we gave or look at how we showed up together. Here's what they're saying. Look at the spiritual work that we did. We prophesied and we fought the devil. I mean, we were doing some things that were miraculous. And that's what they're claiming to be their ticket into heaven. We did the works that we read about in the Bible. And then this, is, this, this just blows my mind when I see this right here. Look at what, how Jesus answers this group of people. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. How in the world can prophesying, casting out the demonic, and building the kingdom of God be lawlessness? Now, maybe, maybe you don't have a problem. Maybe you can read it, and you can just buzz over things like that, and it doesn't bother you. But when I read things like that, it bugs me. Because I think to myself, how many churches will stand on that day before God and go, we prophesied, and we fought the devil, and we did great things in your name. And then how would you like to hear the words, I don't know who you are, leave? Yes or no, that's ultimate failure. Yes or no? Yes. So let me just, I don't think anybody in this room would want to be in that place, would you? No. So, I mean, what would you give in exchange at that point for your soul? Everything is, whoever said that is 100% or you'd give everything. You give everything. So as a pastor, then I stand up and I think to myself, gosh, how many times do we think we're doing this or we're doing that? This is, God's got to approve of this. It's the work of God. Lawlessness in this case, it's just simply this. It's people doing the right thing the wrong way. And what makes it tricky is it's the right thing, but the lawless part of it, you're not doing it with God, you're doing it by yourself. You're doing it as a religious response or a taught issue, but there's no leading of the Holy Spirit in it. There's nothing that's directed by God to be doing these things. And this scripture is just one of these ones. These are not people, I mean, when you look at this, these are not people who are out in the world. Who, they don't come to God and they say, hey, we were drinking all night, got into a fight, showed up this morning, let us in. Yeah. <laughs> There's people who are like, God, we were. We were your church. And Jesus' response, I don't know who you are. That bothers me. I can't just flip the page and be okay with that. And I feel like what the difference in that is, is a terminology of a follower versus a disciple. These are followers, maybe of church, but not disciples. Let me try to describe a difference between those two things. Jesus, in John chapter 6, the Bible tells us many had 
a huge number of followers. It doesn't give us an exact number, but it's well into the thousands. Uh, in fact, to the tens of thousands at times. And then Jesus stands up in one shrewd teaching moment and tells everybody, here's the cost of discipleship. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. And if you can't do that, you don't have any part with me. And the Bible says that most of his followers turned and walked away from him. God, if we based good teaching on how many people followed, we'd have to say Jesus was not a great teacher at that point. Yes or no? And yet, he's the greatest teacher that ever lived. What was he doing right there? Separating followers from disciples. What's the difference between the two? Listen, salvation is free. Whosoever will may come, but discipleship costs you everything. The door is really wide, but the road becomes really narrow. So are you teaching works? Nope, I'm teaching discipleship right now. A person who's not just doing works, but really under Jesus. Not lawless, but under Jesus. Gives it all for him. So that bothers me as a pastor, because here's what I know. If Jesus talks to people like this, do you know what the Bible says about pastors? He judges them double hard. Because the one that has to answer for people who thought this was okay are pastors. That bugs me, man. Sometimes I think that's not fair. Let's just get up and teach a nice message, make everybody feel good, do some nice stuff together. And that doesn't get it done. So we, we talk the depth of discipleship and the fact that it's not enough to just come and hear a message. Don't just agree with me. Don't just clap. Don't just shake your head. Get into a relationship and follow Jesus. Yes. Dig deep. Go for it. Don't stand at the door and think about it. If you're going to get in, go all the way in. Go. Jump in. Now I have maybe like the weirdest most far out illustration I'm about to use for you and I'm going to ask you to be really gracious with me as I try to to use an illustration to help you understand as a pastor how I separate things very quickly. I, I want to draw a quick <laughs> um, I, I guess the best way to, uh, to, to I want to do an analogy between King Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived and David Lee Roth, the lead singer of one of the hottest bands in the 80s, Van Halen. Now, what church do you know that could parallel those two people and pull anything out of it whatsoever? All right, here's the things that they had in common. King Solomon and David Lee Roth were both Jewish. They both got a lot of girls. And they both wrote number one hit songs in America. David Lee Roth wrote Jump in 1994, went to the top of the charts. Do you remember the song? Yep. Might as well. Jump. Heathen. All right. King Solomon in 1000 BC wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. And chapter 3 begins For every time and season. Turn, turn, turn. There is a reason. Turn, turn. The birds actually 
added the turn, turn, turn. But they took his words and in 1965 turned it into a number one hit. Both guys had number one hits in America. <laughs> so I know you're like, what an illustration. What does it have to do with anything? Hold on. <laughs> Both men, believe it or not, had a way of getting to the heart of the matter and what was going on in a situation and with a person, and it was called wisdom. Solomon one time, the Bible tells us the story that two prostitutes had come to him. They both had had children, and while they were nursing their children in the middle of the night, one rolled over on top of her child and smothered her child. She woke up and saw that, and while the other woman next to her was still sleeping, she took her baby, the live one, and brought it to herself and gave the one that she smothered to the woman who was sleeping. When the woman woke up, she realized what had happened, but the woman who had done this denied it, and they ended up in front of Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, with the conundrum of whose child does it really belong to? How do you prove it? They didn't have DNA. You have the word of two women who in that society did not have any legal standing whatsoever. How do you get to the bottom of that? And it seems like when Solomon comes up with the solution to the problem that it's almost brutal. Bring me a sword. Cut the child in half. Give half to this woman and half to that woman. The woman who took the baby said, that's a great solution. But the child's mother said, absolutely not. Let her keep him. Let no harm come to him. And he knew instantaneously that's the mother. Give that child to her. David Lee Roth, for those of you in my generation, <laughs> it'll be really good. You may not remember anything else, but you'll remember this. In the 80s, late 70s and the 80s, there was a rumor about Van Halen that had to do with brown M&Ms. Some of you, a little light goes off. Some of you, let me just tell you what the rumor was. The rumor was that the band was a bunch of divas and that they absolutely were prima donnas in the way that they acted and what they did. And here was the rumor that ran around that in their dressing room, they were such prima donnas that they demanded in their food contract that they had M&Ms, but that the promoter had to take the brown M&Ms out of the bowl. And everybody that heard that rumor thought, God, these guys are such prima donnas, what's wrong with them? Why would they do something like that? Who demands something like that? And then here was the deal. If they found brown M&Ms, they'd tear the place apart. Just rip it up. And it was all these wild rumors that went out of what they did to hotel rooms and what they did to different backstage places that they would set up at. And then not too long ago, someone finally asked him about that. And this is what I found out. When they would send a contract out, you have to remember at the time, they were the biggest band in the world. They had the biggest stage show. They had more trucks that traveled to their locations, more roadies hauling stuff in and out. They had a 53-page writer that went with the contract that they sent ahead of time that a promoter had to sign. The entire contract was well over 600 pages. How do they know if a promoter read every word in a contract? And here's why it's important. Here's why it's important. The amount of scaffolding, electricity, the stage production, the lighting, 
Anything that's not done right falls and kills them, one of their employees, or a person in an arena, and the lawsuit alone. So they had one way to find out whether or not the promoter had read the entire contract. (laughs) You're ahead of me. They put a little clause in the food and beverage part that said this. In our dressing room, we want a bowl of M&Ms, and there can't be any brown ones. And if they walked into the dressing room and found the brown ones, guess what? They knew instantly, we've got to do a massive line check to make sure that the electricity is not going to kill somebody or that the scaffolding was put upright in order to guarantee the safety of their fans and themselves. And everybody judged that as such prima donnas, and it sure sounded like it until you saw the rest of the reason. All right. Pastor. (laughs) It is an interesting story, if nothing else. But how in the world does that apply to anything you're saying? All right, hang on. I'm going into my 30th year doing ministry. Uh, Hang on. For years, I just was so worried about whether people liked me and was I doing a good job and would we be successful and will we be here tomorrow for years? I mean, man, I just... And then you get to a place where you finally just go, you know what, it's really not about whether people like me or not. It's really not about where we're going to be here tomorrow. It really coming down to this, when I stand before God, did I prepare a bride that when they stand before him, they'll hear these words, well done, my good and faithful servants. Enter into this rest. Because if you ask any pastor worth his weight, the ultimate words they want to hear, it's that for their people. Let me connect something very quickly. Of all the stuff that we do, here's the one way I know if it's working or not, discipleship. We give away millions of dollars in money. We send people all over the world. We've got a staff now, paid staff, that's 75 plus people, volunteers in the hundreds. Campuses, enough that keeps us going perpetually. I mean, it's unbelievable. And the bottom line simply is this. The one thing that I walk in and I look at like a bowl of M&Ms is whether or not discipleship is happening in our church. Because if you're not becoming like Jesus, we're failing miserably in everything else that we're doing. And it's not about how much money we're giving away or how many services we have or whether or not 3,000, 10,000, or 500 show up. Here's what it's about. Are people becoming like Jesus at JFC? And if you're not, nothing else matters. My line check is to ask that one question. Are we becoming like Jesus? Are people developing into true disciples? Are they a bunch of followers? And I've just done it long enough now to know that it's not how many show up to the show to find out whether or not we're doing good. It's whether or not people are becoming like Jesus. Whether it's really transformative in its nature. 
Let me tell you what my secret ambition is. My secret ambition. If I could do anything today, if I had all the money in the world, if I didn't have to go to work tomorrow to make a paycheck, if I didn't have to pay any college tuition, If I didn't have to satisfy anything else, if I had all the money in the world, what would I do? I would still get up and I would come here, but I think I would focus most of my attention on trying to develop a teaching and training place that turned out disciples. Not followers, but disciples. I think I would try to put together some type of a organization that could plant churches all over the globe, that involved its people in the idea that the reason we plant churches is so that we can make disciples and we make disciples so we can plant churches because really those two things, when you boil it all down, God, if we did those two things, those two things everywhere. And our people just were like, that's what we do. We make disciples and we plant churches and we make more disciples and we plant more churches. Let me tell you about maybe the weirdest dream I ever had in my life. It was uh, in Lakeland, Florida. And it was 25 years ago. And it was early, early in the morning. And Chris and I, was that time where it's not morning, but it's not nighttime anymore. And you begin to wake up, but you're not conscious. Can you relate? You know what I'm talking about? You're aware, but you're not aware. And the Lord came to me at that place. And he began to speak to me. I didn't see him. So how do you know it was him? He didn't announce himself. He didn't say, I'm Jesus. You just, I knew. I knew that I knew. I knew who it was. I knew who was talking to me. It was though he was standing right next to me, and he was talking to me, and he laid out to me. He just said, this is what I want you to do, and this is what I have for you, and this is why I've called you to ministry, and this is what I'm, I'm giving this to you. And at the end of it, this is what he said to me. So you'll know this is me and not you. Your wife is having the same dream right now. As I say this to you, I'm a 25-year-old man, not a 50-year-old man. I can see myself. I can see that bedroom. I know the color of the walls. I know where I was laying in that bed. I know what it looked like when I looked out the window. I know the color of the sky. But I didn't wake her up and go, Chris, I'm having a dream. God said, you're having one too. I just opened my eyes and I looked at her. And she opened her eyes and she looked at me. And this is all I said to her. Are you dreaming? She sat up. She said, I am. I said, what are you dreaming? She said, you're standing in front of a bunch of people and you're training them. You're getting them ready to go into ministry. And she said, and as far as we can see, there's people. And I shot up out of the bed. I'm like, ah! <laughs> and I grab a pen and a paper and I'm writing it all down as fast as I can write down. And of course, I thought, today, we'll do this today. <laughs> Right now, we're going to go start this now. <laughs> and of course, that is the energy of youth. As Paul says it this way, you have zeal without knowledge. <laughs> and the key in getting older is that you can't add knowledge to your zeal. You don't have to lose the zeal. Can add the knowledge to it. And I feel like 
that this message comes full circle in this, that if I could spend my life, the rest of it, whatever I have left, whatever time I have left, and whatever that's going to look like in the next, whatever it's supposed to be, God, I've got to develop disciples. With everything that's in me, I just have to. And I either have to do it here or I have to go someplace that I can do it. But that's what has to happen. And I don't mean that like a, what is he saying? Is he cloaking? I'm not cloaking anything. I'm just saying this is it for me. This is what it has to be. We have to make disciples. You have to be a disciple. Every campus, listen to me. You have to be a disciple. You can't be a follower. Because all it will take to separate a follower from a disciple is one bad day. I want you to write that down and remember it. All it will take to figure out if you are a follower or a disciple is one really bad day. On a bad day, followers walk out the door. And disciples are with him for life. I don't want you to look like me. And I'm not thinking that our church is the model that should be held up in the world. But I think that Jesus is everything. He's everything, man. And we've got to make sure that that is happening in all that we do and the reason for why we do everything that we do. That's it. So it is sort of like what I said, that the leader has the responsibility of saying the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over in different ways, but over and over again. And I've been saying the same thing for 16 years. Only now it's like this desperation is inside of me. We've got to make disciples. As we lead you, that's what we're talking about. (laughs) Do these things. Commit to be involved in to become a disciple, not simply a follower. Somebody who gives everything that they have for Christ and the cause of Christ. To be a joy for us to give everything that we have to Christ. Everything. So staff goes, how do you end that message? I don't know. Because I don't think there's a prayer you can say, okay, now we're disciples. You know what I mean? But something inside of us, it's another opportunity to say we're not just followers. And that with everything in us, this is what we want, God. Maybe the realm of our influence beyond just campuses to other churches that we're able to influence and other pastors that might look and say, what did you do? That would be the legacy that I would want to influence other communities with too. So whatever you're doing, man, make sure you're making disciples. Because that's the only difference between people who are doing the things and the people who know who he really is. Really know him. Father, we just simply, in all seriousness... And with the reality of the weight of the words that were just said, we stand before you, God. Our hearts are wide open. Our hearts are wide open. Father, there are some folks that this weekend or maybe at some point 
in the near future will hear this message and they're going to find out, you know, I'm not a follower of Christ. Not that I'm opposed to him, I'm just simply not a follower of Christ. The first step to discipleship is that issue right there. Who do you serve? Who is your Lord? Someone sits on the throne in your life, yourself or something else or ultimately God. But trust me, you worship something. A disciple of Christ worships Christ. And if while you hear that message, you're just like, man, I want to be his disciple. You're just sitting there, you hear it. Holy Spirit could speak to you in a second. That thing that pulls in your heart, that's God. Regardless of whether you hear it in one of our churches or your car or an iPod, through a stereo, wherever, God could speak to you right there. If you want to be a follower of Christ, Make a decision now. Tell him. Ask him. It really is as simple as saying, that's what I want to do with my life. I know with that comes a million and a half questions. That's discipleship. But a disciple is a person who says, I want to follow Christ. I know for many of you, You hear this message, and that decision was made for you a long time ago. You clearly had a point and a time in your life when you said, I want to follow Christ. Here's my question to you. Is it translating in your life to where you're becoming like him? It's a legitimate question. It's an honest question. It's an open question. It doesn't happen overnight. Not every area of our life suddenly materializes the way that we want it to. Not everything that we read in the Bible do we suddenly find ourselves doing instantaneously. It's a process. But ultimately, when you look at it, it's okay to ask God. Paul says, test yourselves to see whether or not you're in the faith. It's okay to ask the question, am I becoming like him? Is that the aim of my heart, the desire that's in me to be like Jesus? If it is, that's awesome. I applaud you. And you're exactly what we're aiming for. Help me. Help me. So that others can walk in that place too. If when you ask that question, you feel like, nope, that's not happening. Today's the day to talk to God. Right now. What's happening? What's going on? We'll never get a place in our ministry where we get away from asking God, speak to me and teach me. And I 
come before you so that you can change me. And while we have that atmosphere where the Holy Spirit can speak to us, I'm just asking, what's God saying about this? What's happening in your life? I don't want you to go while I go to church. I read my Bible. I say my prayers. I even give money. None of those things. That's not it. Are you falling more and more in love with Jesus? And as a result of that, are you loving more and more people around you? How's that going? Father, we just ask that the Holy Spirit, we just take the time. The atmosphere is right. It's ripe. Move in us, work in us, and speak to us. Father, we don't want to numb that out of our lives. We don't want to run away from it. We don't want to hurry through it. We take the time right now. Speak to us. Help us. Draw us. Have mercy on us. Encourage us. Strengthen us. Thank you for talking to us. God, we commit this to you right now. And we thank you for your faithfulness. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Stand to your feet if you would. In all of our campuses, our worship pastors, this song is a song to focus your life on Christ. It's to make him the center. We actually sang it once. It's a chance to make it more than a song, to make it your prayer and a point of action in your life. I'm going to encourage you to do this. All of our campuses. Shut everything else out. Don't hit the parking lot. Don't worry about what happens. Just hold on for a minute and give God this time. Make this your prayer. Do business with Him while it's still called today. Let this seek down deep in your heart. Listen to this.